So I want to stir you up today, in a good way. Um, I want to uh, sort of reframe Christmas. I, every now and again I try and do this, um, which is explain the whole of Christianity in 10 minutes and pretty much world history. Um, but I'm, I'm, we have been so seduced, uh, disappointed by the presentation of Christianity, many of us, uh, lulled into it's, it's so boring, it's so kind of irrelevant. And that we need, we need encouragement to repeat again and again, what is this thing about? Why, is it, why does it matter? And is it even possible that it could be true? You know, it's okay to doubt. It's okay to go, this sounds unbelievable. And I always say the more unbelievable it sounds, the probably the more believable it is. Particularly when you're dealing with God. Because God is unbelievable. And you've got two ways of living. Some people say, you know, science is what runs the world and it's all about facts. And if you want to get a quick description of how exciting that is, describe a kiss in terms of the exchange of molecules between two entities. Go up to somebody and say, I'd, st I'd like to exchange molecules with you. <laughs> well, that could be misunderstood in many ways, but if you reduce everything down to facts, if you reduce everything down to chemistry and science, it'll be not that exciting. And God uh, is actually very scientific. He thought of it in the first place. He just gives science to people so they can see how much they can figure out, just for fun. And then they start figuring things out and they think they're smart. And then 50 years later, they have to revise it because they, what they thought didn't work and all the rest of it. And then it gets everybody all upset because are you a scientist or not? And how do you believe in the beginning of the world? And, the end? and we get ourselves totally tied up in knots. Science isn't a threat to God. Science describes how we think, our best guess as to how things happen. And religion or Christianity talks about why things happen. And if you think of science as, as like the skeleton, you, go, you have these, these random facts that explain some things. But God, you know, designed human beings and he made a skeleton and said, this is lacking something. Like it's not much. It's a framework, it's got potential, but it needs some flesh and color and breath and everything else. And so when you're dealing with God, you have to allow imagination, color, life to be breathed in. Because that's what makes things alive. And God said, uh, you know, when, when I create, I create in my own image. And so we are, in a, in a small way, a reflection of who God is. Male and female, we are reflections of who God is. Body, soul, mind, spirit, intellect, imag imagination, emotions, it's all part of a reflection of the nature of God. Make sense to you? Yes. And it's, we only just see part of it. I mean, imagine the creativity of God who... Imagine eight million years ago, whenever human beings crawled out of something. Imagine the challenge 
Or if you're going to create millions and millions and millions of people and not one of them is going to look alike. I mean, I would last for maybe 10 stick figures and then it would be like I give up. And that every fingerprint is going to be different throughout all eternity, all time. I have a computer, you know, with a fingerprint access. And we could go, I could do an experiment. I hope it works. If, if, if I said, okay, if you put your fingerprint on there and see, see if you can open it. And I, if it works, it should work, nobody would be able to open it except my fingerprint and one particular finger. It's amazing. You understand that? I mean, can you wrap your head around that? Can you wrap, wrap your head around the creativity that even in this room, all the fingerprints are different and unique? So it just seems to me it's helpful to get some silly little example because that's probably the easier end of the spectrum and go, that blows my mind, so I'm done. So we're going to go through history quickly because I want to explain something about... I've got this pink little one. At, oh, it's already got a hole in it. Um, I want to have a little discussion about the world. Here's the world. One day God created it. And he, he... It was a special place because this is where his creation was going to dwell. And he wanted to make uh, human beings because he wanted relationship. I, there, there's, my problem with this is I want to qualify everything. So because I don't know how to, I'll say I don't have time, but never mind. God created the world and he placed in the middle of the world, I showed you this last time, Adam and Eve. And they were walking in the garden with God. And they had power and presence. And there was a lot of buzz around the garden, right? Power and God and everybody was there. And God said to Adam, actually, before he created Eve, I believe, he said, there's only one rule. And that is, let's, let's pretend this is the tree of... I didn't know this was going to be here, but because we're creative. Uh, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Have you ever had one of those things where people say, don't touch the paint because it's wet, and you go, I bet you it's not. <laughs> that's pretty much, that starts over here. And God says, uh, don't, there's only one thing to do. Don't touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because I'm placing you in this world as my son and daughter, and I give you authority over the world to rule it, to look after it, uh, to nurture it, and everything else. It's very, very clear in Genesis. I give you authority as my, my son and ultimately my daughter. But there's one tree you mustn't... Don't, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not touch it because if you do, you will die. And death will mean that you will be separated from me. You do not want to do that. Now, because I'm making you in my image, you need the freedom to be able to pull away from me. So I, this is part of the mystery of creation and Dave can explain it to you later. Um, because <laughs> he's now got all this coaching skills, so he can pull it out of you, apparently. Um, <laughs> there you go. We're going to make sure this works well for me. Do not touch of that. Do not touch that. So Adam and Eve are tracing around, having fun, and talking to God, and there's a snake that comes in. The snake is a symbol of Satan. Who is Satan? Satan... Talk of the snake. I mean, no, sorry, Tish, you came at just the wrong moment because 
I'm talking about the Satan coming into the garden. <laughs> okay, tempt somebody. There you go. She's going to tempt her husband, and he wasn't difficult to tempt by the look of it. <laughs> I hope to see you back, Dan. <laughs> there you go, you see, God knows, I don't know. This, the snake was created by God as an angelic being. He was, one of, he was actually one of the heads of the angelic realm. This is unbelievable. This is the world that we don't see. And the angelic being was also free to rebel. And the angelic being began to start saying, I, I'd like to have the power God has. And I'm actually, he was described as very beautiful and very powerful. And for some reason, he began to be intoxicated by his own image. And he rebelled against God, and God threw him out, basically, cut him off. And a third of the angelic realm went with him. And that is the origin of Satan and the origin of evil. Uh, the thing that totally is unbelievable to me is that God didn't clip his wings. Because if I'd been creator, and except I think he'd worked this out before, so he knew what he was doing. God, he, he, I would have just said, you, you, can, you can rebel, but I'm taking all your power because I gave it to you as a gift. The thing about God is that he never takes away his gifts, even if you rebel. That's why you can have people who are evil using power against God. It's a remarkable thing. Because when he gives, he gives. And so you had this angelic being who fell and became very limited. He's not, he's not at all equal to God. But he's angry and he's bitter and twisted. And the, pretty much the only place that he could have any hope of attacking God was in the creation that God, uh, create, God's creation on earth. And so Adam and Eve were in this garden and God had said, don't touch that tree because... He wants some freedom and some responsiveness that is of your free will. And Satan comes into that garden, which is on earth, and he comes up to Adam and Eve in the form of a snake in a tree and says, Psst. If you want to know the voice of Satan, this is it. He's very cunning and very stupid. He's very uncreative. He cannot create anything. He has to, he's, he's a parasite. He basically feeds off what God has already created and distorts that and destroys that. So he says, and the, and the one thing he always says, and he, he doesn't have many lines, so this is the one. Um, God didn't really say that. I mean, if you eat of this fruit, you know what the problem is? He's scared that you're going to become like him. He's threatened by you. If you eat that fruit, you're going to be a challenge to him. He's just trying to spoil your fun. So, why don't you have a bite? Nothing's going to happen. It's like the drug pusher. Just take one. Or the banker. Just borrow another thousand. It won't really... He didn't mean it. And Adam and Eve, or Eve, said, you know, maybe it's worth it. Now, any good presentation of this... Eve takes the bite, but the, the killer is, Adam, where the heck were you? And why didn't you stop her? And why didn't you say God told us not to? In other words, why did you shirk your responsibility? One of the curses on men is they never say anything. 
when they need to. God wants to restore that. So they take a bite. Basically, all of them bite this fruit, whatever it is. And they suddenly discover the knowledge of good and evil. And the knowledge of good and evil is, oh my, I've just discovered something I never knew before. It's called a conscience. I'm feeling guilty. And if God walks in the garden again, I'm going to have to hide because I'm feeling ashamed and I don't know what to do because I can't take it away. The apple is bitten. The evidence is clear. And I'm in a place I can't get out of. And they discovered at that moment that God had said, I don't want you to eat of that because you won't be able to deal with the consequences. It's got nothing to do with me being threatened by you. It's got to do with you being unable to deal with you when you listen to him. And so what happened was that God's creation, the world, as soon as they ate of that tree, all the authority, all the titles, all the ownership for the world was picked out of their pocket, except they didn't have pockets, they were naked, uh, was picked from them by Satan. And he said, because you have betrayed God, I have the title to this place now. And so from that moment on, you have the prince of the air, darkness over the world. From that time on, God and human beings are separated by the rebellion of the choice of sin. And God was saying to them, this is exactly what I was trying to avoid or saying to you. So they walked around. You pull the trigger and nothing happened. Because I don't know where to get the charge. I don't know how to get back to the other side of the tree. And so human beings ended up being cursed. And Satan ended up being the ringmaster. And he starts saying, I own you now. I own you. You're going to live on this earth and you're going to feel abandoned. You're going to feel lost. You're going to feel broken. You're going to feel like it's going to be a power struggle. So it's the strongest one wins. You're going to fight each other for victory. You're going to fight as if this is the only place to live. You're going to fight with power and corruption. And I'm going to twist this creation. And every time I twist it, and every person I twist, I'm going to look at the Father, or I'm going to look at God, and I'm going to say, see, I'm in charge here. If you won't give it to me there, I'll take it here. And his DNA feeds its way through the human psyche until human beings start saying, if you give God an inch, he'll take your smile. If you give God an inch, he'll ruin your life. If you give God an inch, you can't do what you want. If you give God an inch, your life will be hell. And we are fed the lie. And then our parents have fed the lie. And then our grandparents have fed the lie. And by the time we are born, we've lost touch with the truth. There is no resemblance to the truth. You kind of maybe believe in God. You maybe don't. The, pe the weak people believe in God if you need a crutch. And darkness is over the whole world. 
and God becomes this possible abstraction. There's only the good news in all of that is this is one world in a huge, huge galaxy, and Satan is limited to this world, and God is the creator of all eternity. So he doesn't go, oh my word, we're lost now. And he pulled, he pulled a fast one. We didn't anticipate this. There are some mysteries in this that one day maybe God will explain. But what you have in the, coming through the pages of the Bible is a God who um, never ceases to passionately love Adam and Eve and their descendants. And so what he does is when Adam and Eve actually are separated, he says to them, um, you're now under a curse and I cannot reconcile you to myself because I said anybody who eats of that tree will die, which means you're separated from me. But I also love you. But I've also got to be true to my word. And what you begin to see happening after this event is the God beginning to prepare for a rescue. And it starts with him saying, you should die, but I love you. So when you, you now have a revelation of how you've screwed up. The Bible doesn't say it quite like that, but how you've screwed up. Um, and you don't know what to do because you've already blown it. But I'm telling you what you can do is that instead of you dying, take an animal that is precious to you and kill it. And give it to me as a sacrifice and I will know that it's an outward expression of your desire to say sorry and I will forgive you. And we will walk in relationship. It's not going to be like it was, but it will be better than nothing and I'm going to begin to work on restoring you to myself. You following me? So you have a sacrificial system emerging in the Old Testament that is give me a, give me a, 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 a lamb or give me... A, something that is precious to you and I will uh, receive that as a symbol of your desire to be reconciled with me when you are aware of your sin, of your rebellion. Sin is spelled S-I-N, I in the middle. Whenever I replaces God, it is rebellion. And so God gives them this sacrificial system. What begins to happen through the Old Testament is like everything God gives us, it starts off well and then it gets used. So it becomes, God says, um, give me something as a symbol of what's inside you and it becomes, oh, give him the old cat. As long as he got something that's bleeding, he'll be happy. <laughs> and it gets trivialized into God wants dead animals. And he says, I don't need your dead animals. You need the dead animal." But I only receive it when it's actually lined up with your heart that says, forgive me. Give me dead animals till you have none left. If your heart isn't aligned, it's meaningless. I am God and I do read your mind and I read your heart. So throughout the Old Testament, God is continually bringing people backwards and forwards from losing touch with the meaning, coming back to the meaning. Are you following me? Yes. You know what this is like. We do this in our lives in all kinds of ways. It's part of how we demonstrate the truth of what I'm sharing with you. Throughout history, too, there's something that's happening, and that is that God is speaking to various people. They're called prophets. And they like pinholes that come into this dark covering. 
pinholes of light. And God speaks to them. And it was interesting because this is what he said about prophecy. We don't have time to go into the whole thing, but I just want to read you what he said about prophecy. What did he say about prophecy? Maybe I've lost it. I'll have to summarize it. What, what he... Uh, uh, all right, I, I've got to look it up. It's Isaiah 48. It's not very complimentary. It's, uh, he says, I'm going to give you uh, prophetic words so that you don't trust yourself. Psalm 48, uh, Isaiah 48, verse 3. I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them and I made them known. Then suddenly I acted and they came to pass. For I knew how stubborn you were. Your neck muscles were iron. Your forehead was bronze. Therefore I told you these things long ago before they happened. I announced them to you so that you would not say my image brought them about. My wooden image and metal God ordained them. And what God ended up doing throughout the whole Testament was continually saying, don't trust other things, do not create other gods, I am the only God. And evil kept on saying, no, he doesn't mean it. Worship this, worship this, worship this. There's always this tension. And in these pinpricks of light, prophets spoke about what God was doing and gave them a reminder that there is behind the darkness a God who is working to rescue and what you have emerging out of the Old Testament, where the Old Testament is a summary of human beings trying their best to follow God in their own strength with some instructions. And they can't do it. They cannot do it. And a God who is merciful, who just keeps on coaching them, but at the end of the day, they can't do it. And so interwoven between this struggle and frustration, this leaving and letting go and the coming back together, there are these promises. There are over 400 promises in the Old Testament about a God sending somebody to rescue his people. And he says these kinds of things. And they're written... 700, 1,000, 600, 500 years before the birth of Jesus. They say things like this. Uh, well, in, in, uh, in, Ge- in Genesis even, it says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nation shall be his. It's a 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus. It's told that Judah will be the tribe out of which this person will come. Do you know what Judah means? Judah means praise. And Jesus came out of the tribe of Judah, a place of praise. Isaiah 7, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. We'll call him Emmanuel, God with us. That was fulfilled in Isaiah's day because that was a prophecy to the king of the time, but it was also fulfilled. There's two levels to that prophecy. That was, that was given 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And the Old Testament was contained and printed in a sense. It was, it was uh, fixed 200 years before Jesus was born. Like they can't go back and revise it after Jesus was born and then say, oh, we better put this in and this and this. And it was actually completed and regarded as the authoritative word for Judaism. And that is traced back quite historically and easily 200 years before Jesus was born. That word was complete, like it's sealed. So when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1946 or 8, they found a a copy of Isaiah with a lot of these prophecies in, a thousand years difference between the one they had and the one they, the, 
the first, the one they had in their, and then the, the Dead Sea Scroll was almost a complete copy of Isaiah and there was virtually no difference. Like apostrophes or something was the difference. There's huge evidence, huge evidence for the authority of the scriptures. Incredible evidence, both scientific, archaeological, historical, for God's hand over this world. Much more than you and I probably appreciate. Isaiah 9, 6 to 7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Isaiah 53, He will be despised and rejected. In Micah, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. And I, I've got 400 prophecies. I'm just going to read them all to you right now. Hosea 11.1, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Matthew 26, Jesus quotes a prophecy. He says, you will strike the shepherd, and it's a prophecy out of Zechariah about the, 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 the shepherd being struck. So what I'm saying is there's lots of substance that we don't have time to get into, but God is busy working on bringing his people back to himself. And then... On one winter's morning or one winter's evening, this couple arrive in Bethlehem. A girl of 15, a man of maybe 17. She's pregnant. She's had a vision and and an angelic appearance saying, you will conceive and bear a child whose name will be Jesus. He will be the Savior. Jesus has to give up everything of his heavenly angelic state and agree to come into human form. I've asked this before. Imagine you were asked, would you be born again and would you let, uh, let's choose somebody here to be your parent? They're going to be a 15-year-old kid chewing gum and you're going to have to work it out as you go along. And I, your father, says, I'll be with you. Thanks, Dad. Jesus comes into human life stream in order to pay amends for the betrayal that took place in the garden. Because God had said, for my justice to be done, a a perfect human being needs to die. So when Jesus came into the world, the angelic being, what did they say? See, when you have this announcement, Jesus is born in the stable in Bethlehem, you have this physical, inconsequential birth that's happened hundreds of times, millions of times, and God comes into something incredibly ordinary. And the angelic beings in the spirit world, it's incredibly extraordinary. In the spirit world, everything's going, alarm bells are ringing. God's just stepped in to where I have dominion. So through Herod, kill every male boy. He's not taking over this place. And God shelters his son. And his son is nurtured and grows in the enemy camp. And his son begins to grow into the awareness because he reads all the prophecies. He's not, grown, grown, he's not born into this world with the knowledge of God. He's, he's, he, he comes into this world as a human being 
who's fully open to the Spirit of God, like no other human being, but he's still limited to human capacities. And he grows and he's nurtured, and 30 years goes by where he's flying under the radar. Sometimes some of us get impatient with God. Think about Jesus. Like, when are we getting going? And as Jesus' revelation grows, what's his revelation? His revelation grows about he's not only going to have signs and wonders, he's going to die a brutal death. Somebody has to. And so he comes into this place and he begins to, as Jesus is baptized in the Spirit at 30 years old, he begins to do miracles. Every time he does a miracle, it's like this is pulled away a little bit. And God reestablishes his kingdom and says, this is mine. It was taken from me. It was taken from my children. And I am restoring it. Come hell or high water, I am restoring it. And hell rose up to fight it. And God rose higher. said, give me your best shot. And so Jesus went around delivering and setting people free who were captured under the dominion of darkness and evil. And he cast out demons and he set people free from diseases and he healed blindness because wherever evil lives, it destroys God's creation. Many of God's creation were numb. They had no idea what they were born to be. They had no idea what they were meant for. They would say, I don't have any need for God. Just like a leper up with a hand on a hot plate would see no need to replace it, take their hand away. The reason they felt no need was they were so sick they didn't even know they had that need. And Jesus came into the world to say, this is who you were created to be. And Jesus came into a world, they had always been like this and he started going like this. And they said, what is that? And he said, that's a human being filled with the power of God. That's a human being filled with the presence of God. That's a human being as God, was create, as God created him to be in Eden. And so he called human beings back to himself. Can you guys just sit at the back, please? And he called people back to himself by starting to set them free. He released them bit by bit from their diseases, from everything that got in the way. You following me? He began to demonstrate, this, he's called also in the Bible the, the second Adam. Because he's saying, this is what you were meant for. And I've come to bring it back into being. But these guys had their own systems. And they didn't like to give it up easily. Satan doesn't give up anything without a fight. And he's in the church, and he runs the church, lots of the church. And so eventually, they said, enough's enough. And they said, we've got to kill this guy, Jesus. And so they took him to the cross, and they, uh, running out of time, they, they took him to the cross, and they killed him. And the Adam who had betrayed in the Garden of Eden died on a cross. He said, I will die for their sin. You don't need blood sacrifices of animals anymore because God's Son has gone to the cross as one sacrifice for all to 
satisfy justice in the heavenly realms. It's way beyond, our, I think, our understanding. But it sort of makes sense, right? And Jesus says, now that I have given up my life, you don't have to in that way. Satan thought he had him. They put him in a tomb. On the third day he rose from the dead. Now, now he's in trouble. Because my trump card is death. And God's just blown that apart. And the sun rises, literally. And says, now we're going to take the, we're going to take the earth. Brave heart. And six weeks later, he pours out the same spirit that empowered and energized him. And he said, anyone who wants it can have it. You only get it through me. When Jesus was crucified and when he rose from the dead, it says in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, that the veil was torn apart, which meant that any human being could now have relationship with God, just like Jesus did. This block that had taken place since the beginning of time had been ripped apart by Jesus. Which means anyone can talk to God and know Him as Father, not just as a creator that's distant. He said, you were always created for a father-child relationship. That's the cry of your heart. You were always created for your spirit to come alive on the inside and that would transform your life on the outside. The way the world works is try and get your life together on the outside and hopefully it'll block up the inside. But you'll never be whole. What Jesus did was absolutely revolutionary. He paid the price for sin. He reconciled human beings to God. And he then set forth people and he said, now you go and you lead people into that new reconciliation through my cross and my blood. And then let them receive my power so they can live from the inside out in a whole new way. That is the meaning of Christmas. Christmas is not about a baby. Christmas is about an incredibly significant beachhead, an announcement by God of saying, let my people go. It is violently brought in and it's violently taken out. God is the toughest guy you will ever meet. I want him on my side. And he wants you and me on his side. But listen to this as we finish. We've read this, you read this every single Christmas. A great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. And we say, oh, God's peace is all over the world. And he says, no. Peace on whom my favor rests. Who does my favor rest upon? Everyone who says thank you. It is available to all, but it needs to be activated one by one. And I promise you this. The closer you are to Jesus and the more you walk with him, the more peace will rest on you and favor will rest on you. And the further you are away and the more you try and do it yourself, I promise you, peace will not sit with you. It's a principle. Peace comes with the Prince of Peace, comes with Jesus. Peace means I have confidence and contentment and an identity that's secure in the middle of a chaotic world that's still half destroyed, half occupied and all the rest. There's still a huge battle going on. That's why you've got to learn how to read that battle inside yourself. Yes to God, yes to myself. They can't both go together. Is this making sense? 
So what God did through Jesus was say, there's a better way and I give you myself to help you and power. And this never works unless the battery's charged. We talked about it last week. It's a principle. It doesn't matter if I used it last week and the battery ran out. It doesn't charge up on its own. It needs to be recharged. Recharging is relationship with Jesus. And you can tell the one that's charged and you can tell the one that isn't charged. That is the fruit of the Spirit. That is how God works. Both can believe in Jesus. This one follows Jesus. The meaning of Christmas is God's power coming into the world to rescue people who were lost. As we come to break bread this morning, we come to the banqueting table of that king who invites every single person to himself and says, I have overcome the world. I have defeated the one who's defeated you. And I have come to take the chains off so that you can walk free like I always created you to be. Don't be afraid of him. And don't believe him when he tells you not to believe me. Don't be afraid of me because I love you. But there's restoration to do. But my message to you right now is come to me, all you who are weak, weary, and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come to me and I will call you son and daughter. Come to me on the basis of what my son has won for you and receive from me the life that is my gift to you through my son Jesus. I am jealous for you. There are many others that try to pretend there are other ways to me, but I am the only revelation. It's not the Mormons, it's not the Jehovah's Witnesses, it's not any other religion. There's only one way to reconciliation with God. God came to this world. Christmas is a defiant statement. It's the only place God becomes human. This is very good news. Because when we were at our worst, He came and said, I've come for you. And he does that every day and every moment of every day. It's called grace. But we need to respond by saying thank you. I want you to be in my life, part of my life. And growing in that time. Growing that all the time. And then he says, now watch what happens through you. You will do things that I did. You will heal the sick. You will speak in tongues. You will find worship bubbling up inside you. You will learn to love like you never learned to love before. You'll even forgive people you hate. And you go, what's that about? He says, that's what I do. Let's stand. Talk to Jesus while I prepare this. Just talk to him yourself because he says to you, I've done this for you. So talk to him about uh, your response to him. Because he says you don't need to live this world life on your own. You don't need to live on something that's past. You don't need to live with a memory of something. I'm here right now. And so one of the ways that you can receive is you just come before Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't understand everything about you, but I do understand that, that you know, I'm not perfect. I understand I have some attitudes and I certainly have some rebellion and sin in my life. But I thank you that you, you have come that I might know forgiveness. And so because of what you did on the cross, I ask you to forgive me for the things I'm aware of. And I ask you to come into my heart and make these words that I've heard this morning real. And Jesus always says yes to that. He loves that. And so, Father, if anybody's praying that prayer this morning here, I just pray that your spirit will touch their lives right now and that they would know that they're included.
And that this Christmas would be a Christmas of reconciliation where they discover God as a father, as one who heals and restores. And Jesus is present here right now and he still heals. So if you have something that uh, is, is painful, it might be a broken heart, it might be a wound in your body, it might be sickness in your, in your, in your, in your body, you can just lay your hand on yourself and say, Jesus, thank you that you've destroyed the power of the evil one. And thank you that you've come into this world that I might have life. And so Jesus, to who each person who is laying hands on themselves right now, asking for healing, I declare healing over you in the name of Jesus. I declare the kingdom of heaven to break open over you. In the name of Jesus, I command every spirit that would not bow the knee to Jesus to be gone from this place and from those bodies. I speak healing into your body in the name of Jesus Christ. Let your kingdom come and your will be done right now. I speak to headaches in the name of Jesus, go. All tension and anxiety in the name of Jesus, go. I speak to issues with eyes in the name of Jesus, they are to go. We speak healing to eyes in the name of Jesus. Whatever you want from the Father, ask Him for it. If you need strength, ask Him for it. If you need peace, ask Him for it. If you need hope, ask Him for it. If you need faith, ask Him for it. If you need to know, you don't understand what I've been talking about, but you kind of do and you wish it were true, but you're not quite sure, ask him for it. He, he loves to give. He loves to give. He is so generous. He comes right to where you are. You might go, I wish, you know, I wish I could stop faking this, that I like it, because I really find it quite boring. You can tell him that and, he, and just say, I want this to be real. That's what I prayed. I asked him to make it real for me. And he's pulled me out of the gutter a few times. So, Father, I pray that you release that passion of reality, that you make yourself real to every single person here. Speak their language, touch their lives, touch their circumstances, but make this Christmas to be the most amazing Christmas ever because we've met with brave heart. The gladiator, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, all wrapped up, they don't touch Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And if you feel that you don't have any strength and you receive the Holy Spirit right now, just breathe in and receive God's Spirit. Receive His Spirit. Remember what I said right at the beginning. Satan always discounts what God says. He always whispers. He didn't really mean that. He'll be whispering that to you right now. He doesn't like us doing this. He just wants me to talk theory and then we go home. I'm trying to give you the opportunity to land it in your heart right now. The presence of the living God who will authenticate himself to you. Bless you, Lord. Bless you for what you're doing. Thank you so much, Jesus, for your faithfulness.